This is part two of a two-part podcast. Put Paul's brain on your plot. Do you have a hunk of land but don't know where to start? Do you have a world-changing permaculture idea and you need some feedback? Do you feel like the guy in overalls may inexplicably hold the keys to all your wildest permaculture and homesteading dreams? Well, you're probably wrong. But if you want to give it a go anyway, you can hire Paul for a consultation. He will be all yours for a whole entire hour. Schedule your Paul conversation today at permies.com slash consult. permies.com slash consult. We have a carbon negative solution with rocket mass heaters, which is another thing, too. Um, <clears throat> the whole concept of the heat pump has been around for quite a while, and it has been a popular enough item that it has been very thoroughly optimized. And even as something that's very thoroughly optimized, it's got a lot of environmental scariness wrapped up in it. Um, on top of that, I, I don't think it's going to be able to get much better than what it is now. With rocket mass heaters, I kind of feel like we still have a lot of room for optimization. Like this could get better and better and better and better and better. And uh, so, all right, let's wrap up on uh, carbon footprint. The key is, is that carbon footprint for mini splits. Now, keep in mind, in order to understand this, you have to first hear about how the average American carbon footprint is 30 tons per year. Now, that's per adult, 30 tons per year, 30. And then a mini-split has a carbon footprint of 18.4 tons. And an in-ground heat pump has a carbon footprint of 8.4 tons. And a rocket mass heater has a carbon footprint of 0.4 tons. And that includes the free half a cord of wood. So that means we're counting the half cord and the, and the, uh, the carbon footprint of that half cord that was burned. So, all right. Moving on from carbon footprint stuff. Uh, let's see. We already talked about vulnerability to market volatility. Um, basically at any given time, uh, the, uh, uh, cost of propane could double or triple and there's nothing you can do about it. They just pick whatever the price is and they do. They'll jiggle the number to try to get an idea of like how much they think they can get out of you. Pellet stuff is an interesting volatile market. Um, you might've picked it up just 20 miles down the road or 10 miles down the road, and you would get tons and tons and tons of pellets. And then suddenly the mill shut down. And uh, you used to get them for this sweet, sweet price, and now you have to drive six hours to get them for triple the price. And so the, the type of volatility is a little bit different. But, okay, really market volatility, we're talking about electricity, the bottom line is, is I think that across the nation over the last two years, the cost of electricity has gone up about 30% has been my impression on average. And as we were looking at this, I think 
I think that we were finding that the average price of electricity was something like around 15 cents per kilowatt hour, but we found some places where it was more than triple that. And so, and now I'm getting reports of, so it was like 45 cents. And uh, now I'm getting reports of some places where it's 60 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, I don't know, Mud, have you heard anything recently about the price of electricity in the last couple of years? Uh, it's all over the place. It's, uh, yeah, mine. And Mud's gone. Oh, I don't know what happened. Um, crappy internet, maybe. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Samantha says all the cost of these things will go up. Uh, I have all the wood I will ever need on my land. The forest makes wood faster than I could ever use it. Ah, that is a brilliant, brilliant point. And Mud is back. Mud, you were trying to say something before, uh, you ditched us. Yeah. Yeah. Pressing the wrong buttons again. The, um, yeah, the, the cost, uh, has been a, has been quite volatile in some areas, uh, where you live and where I live, it's fairly stable. Thank goodness. Um, but, uh, there, uh, uh, yeah, but it, it has, uh, not as much volatility as propane. Natural gas is somewhere in the middle. Uh, fuel oil is just awful for volatility of, of prices. So um, uh, the less of the refined products you can use, uh, like natural gas, you don't have a choice who's providing that. Uh, electricity, you have a little bit of choice of who's providing the, uh, the electricity, but not who's charging you for being plugged into the wires and maintaining the wires. Um, and, you know, and that can go crazy um you know reports of people with um enormous fuel bills uh several times what they were used to during the cold snap in texas a couple years ago because during emergencies the emergency rates pop in and you've agreed by being connected that if the rate goes up five or ten or a hundred times for a few minutes or a few hours or a few days uh, you're going to pay that for the privilege of being connected. So um, the less reliant we are on volatile things, uh, you know, even more, even with the rocket heater, the, the better insulated the house is. And uh, the more we can close off parts of it that aren't easy to heat, uh, the more comfortable we are with less. And we can put more wood in a hugo culture and grow things on it and eat them rather than burning them. So, uh, so yeah, the, the volatility of all of these resources um, can get to us no matter where we hold up. Let's talk about estimated lifespan. <clears throat> so uh, for all the heat pumps, in fact, with the in-ground heat pumps, it sounded like, because, of course, once you've kind of dug the hole and buried all that pipe in there, that stuff's going to be fine. You're not going to have to dig that back up and replace that pipe. But it did sound like there were some components in an in-ground system 
that would need to be replaced a lot sooner than the average 14 year lifespan. Um, but, uh, but that was an, that was kind of a fascinating thing that as we were digging into it, I mean, we went with 14 years because that was provided by the industry. Um, but we were finding a lot of cases where people were having to replace it in less than 10 years, which is a little brutal considering that it's like, oh, it's going to save you something like $1,000 a year, but it costs $10,000 to put it in. And then if, if you have to replace it in seven years, then you didn't exactly save money. And you didn't exactly make the environment better either because these things are a pretty healthy-sized contraption filled with a lot of toxic gick. And so the construction of this thing and the environmental footprint behind this device, this this massive contraption, is substantial. And so... The idea that you have to replace it every seven years is is brutal, but 14 years is the average. But even at 14 years, it's kind of like a little bit of an edge case. And on top of that, in order to get it the last 14 years, you've also adopted some annual maintenance. And, And granted, there are some people that can DIY their annual maintenance, but there's, but it seems like most people have to pay for the annual maintenance and, you know, granted, it's going to be $150 for somebody to come out and do a little of this and that and check, but, you know, there might be that occasional $500 bill instead of the $150 bill. Um, well, and, and what if one of the parts becomes made out of unobtainium? Uh, I, I really enjoy, oh, no, something broke on my rocket heater. Uh, slap a little cob on it. And, uh, and I'm good for a while. Um, and, uh, and, you know, finding a new part for a company that went out of business or changed their business model, uh, because they weren't making enough money on that old one. There are companies that, that you can get, you can get parts to replace parts on 40, 50 year old systems. That's, uh, and, and that's a, that's a treasure, uh, something that's simple to fix and, uh, and, uh, keep going. Um, but, uh, but being at the mercy of people whose job is to make more money for their shareholders. So let's, let's have you have to have a, uh, a monthly charge for an app to be able to turn things off and on. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's just, you know, that, that, that just get sucks you back into the machine. So you're right. Uh, it's possible that you could be six years into ownership and then you need a part that used to be just 20 bucks to keep your stuff going. Only, uh, that part is no longer available. And really the only other option now is to buy a whole new unit and it's only been six years. So whereas uh, yeah uh, the uh, the rocket mass heater this this thing went weird because the kids you know were a little too rambunctious in there or whatever and it's like oh it's I need to go out and grab a handful of mud and smear it into the you know this spot and I'm and I'm golden again and I'm back in business you know uh if I or if you wanted to you could go buy a bag of clay and buy a bag of sand and and make your own cob and use that 
and you're still golden. You're all set. And that, you know, still, I mean, what is a bag? I don't even know what a bag of sand goes for these. If you got a bag of sharp sand, is it 10 bucks? No, not even. Five, six. It costs you more to drive out and get it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I had a, uh, somebody here local who, um, bought a house because they fell in love with the fact that a rocket heater had been installed in it, um, several years ago. And, uh, and then they couldn't get the thing to work very well. Um, and we had to rebuild it, uh, to be able to get inside of it to clean it because there weren't any cleanouts put in some of the places. I put a YouTube video series up on it, um, on what we had to do to it. But, uh, the, the funny thing to me was that, uh, we completely revamped that thing for less than, you know, less than a thousand dollars. Um, without ruining the beautiful sculpted bench uh, and that would have taken a lot of time to rebuild. Um, got it roaring uh, in a day. Um, so uh, the, the technology is, is simple enough that you can uh, redo it when you find out something's not working right. Um, the, uh, when my, you know, when, when the insides of the, the rocket heater start to crumble because you've been, uh, burning it too hot or, or, uh, or you find out you did something less than ideal, um, you can fix it. I would say that, uh, first of all, you and I have been working on a book for a long time, but we, we took a chapter of the book and we made it available for sale to people. Um, you, I think it was part of a Kickstarter or something like that. But I think that that particular book is very good. Uh, the, the Rocket Mass Heater Risers, uh, ebook. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think that when we made Rocket Mass Heaters 10 years ago, that the way that we did it was 90% of the way to what we do today. Does that sound about right? What was done 20 years ago was crapulent, um, maybe 15 years ago. I remember 15 years ago using metal inside the riser. And we've got <laughs> way past that. Um, we've come a long way, baby. But <laughs> our current, like, like right now, the one here in the Fisher-Price house, this is 10 years old. We haven't done a thing to it. Um I mean, it looks like it's got another 80 years to go. It still looks brand new. Um, but, uh, I, I think, you know, when we, when we did this, how long does it last? The average lifespan, we said 40 plus years. Um, I think, uh, I mean, we did rebuild the one in the library. That was also 10 years old. And, and we rebuilt the one in the library just like a year ago. But it was working okay. We just wanted to try new experiments. I think that's the major danger is that that uh, most of mine die not because they stopped being useful, but because I got a better idea. And, uh, <laughs> and I, oh, I got in trouble. I, I sold the, uh, the liberator in the living room uh, without telling my wife. And she went to sit on her bench and uh warm her hiney 
and there was no heater there, even though I, I made a, a good little bit of money off of it because they weren't manufacturing at the time. Um, I was in the doghouse where it was cold. Yeah, these things, <laughs> these, these things, uh, we, we tinker with the fire. That's one of the pleasures of the rocket heater is, is poking at the fire every time you walk by. Um, and, uh, uh, and thinking about a better idea and whipping it up on a Saturday afternoon is, is, is kind of fun for some of us. And it's not so fun for others of us. So, but so yeah, I have considerably smaller lifespan on my rocket heaters um, than than the uh, than we're talking about. And if you use the right materials, uh, uh, then a rocket heater is just basically a masonry heater, uh, and those designs have been around for a thousand years, and and they they go hundreds of years with with very little. Uh, required, uh, to, to rebuild them. Um, so it's a, it's a decent thing compared to something that wears out. I think it's possible there could be some rocket mass heaters that were built 10 years ago where the materials that were used for the riser maybe didn't do so good. Yep. And so as we wrote that risers ebook, we kind of covered a lot of those things and, and we, we talked about if you make your riser this way, the problem with this design is that it will last only three years. And then if you make it this way, the problem with this design is that it'll only last three weeks. And, and I see too many people building something and then it's like I built it and then they bolt and they leave the, the rest to that, to a user that did not build it, and so they're not able to repair it, and the materials that were used in the riser, where it can be pushing 2,000 degrees, was not an appropriate material choice. And so, yep. yep, a lot of people come into a new house that we've bought, um, having lived in an apartment or uh, a condo where somebody else's job is to take care of all that those infrastructure things. So we don't know how to do anything other than press the button to go up or down in temperature and uh, and pay the and and you know and pay the bill every month. We just don't know how to do that. Um, and um, uh, and and it's it's been a real um, for me. Uh, you're going from a propane that was costing me a thousand dollars some months to heat my house in. Uh, in northern Ohio, uh, to, uh, less than a hundred dollars a year with no cutting or splitting for, uh, cause I was getting the, um, getting the, uh, the cutoffs from the, uh, hardwood flooring, uh, manufacturer down the street. Um, so a hundred bucks a year and I still have some left over. Um, that, that's, that's financial freedom for me. And, um, even if I have to fix it or rebuild it every, you know, every year or every five years, or, or, you know, even if I'm, as long as I'm building something that's safe to operate, um, I can do that and save a lot of money. Um, 
compared to uh, basically any other choice I've got. But but there's there's a, a lot of us uh, just um, don't have those choices because we don't have uh, any experience working with these things. And and yeah, I almost burned my house down with my first wood stove with a chimney fire because I didn't have any experience at the time. But that was uh, that was 25 years ago. So how many uh, how many chimney fires have you had with a rocket mass heater? Oh, none. I only know that? of I only know of two in in all of the people I talk to anywhere and um uh and if you burn green wood and other crap um you're going to get a chimney fire even if it's a rocket heater uh, but uh but if you're burning a rocket heater properly so there's no smoke within a minute or two of it starting up then you're not going to have uh, smoke condensing on the inside of your chimney, giving you creosote, and you're not going to have a chimney fire. Yeah, I, um, that's one of the things we do is, is we have a lot of experiments that we do here. And it's like, well, let's try it this way. Let's try it that way. Because we, we used to host the Innovators event. We used to like every other year. We haven't done it in several years. Um, and that's a podcast in itself. But. Um, I would, I, I would have to say that, uh, yeah, we haven't seen creosote here except we had somebody that had, uh, they built themselves a little tiny cabin and they had this weird little tiny conventional wood stove and that had to be cleaned once a month or else they would get it, they would get a chimney fire. And so it's, uh, it's a very different game. Uh, I know that, that Bo has been through the chimney fire thing. Uh, how is creosote handled in the rocket mass heater? Basically, we try to create, we try to domesticate the chimney fire. And so, um, basically what, what a chimney fire is, is that creosote is gonna get into the chimney of a conventional wood stove and build up. And then, uh, one day there's a fire where it's hot enough or something happens. So that, that creosote, which is a fuel, is ignited and it burns very hot. And, uh, once it, once it gets started, then it'll try to burn all the creosote all at once. And that's a chimney fire. And it'll burn very hot. It'll burn so hot, there's a very high probability that it'll burn your house down. Um, whereas basically a rocket mass heater, um, has that riser. And then, but the, but the riser is insulated. So it tries to basically burn everything in the riser every fire. So basically we use the creosote as a tertiary fuel. And, and that's why our burns are so efficient. Hey, Samantha, isn't that that boy in the background there? Shouldn't he be in school? Get to school, boy! Oh, you know, the boy, he's got the sick, so we keep oh. him home. So the sick means try to stare into the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Did you tell hey, how sick he is? If you're gonna, if you're gonna take time off from school to be sick, you better go get in that bed and at least pretend to be sick. So you he's should at bed. least, you gotta, out. you gotta fake it better than that. <laughs> Oh, I'm so sick. I better stay in bed. Well, oh, the sickness. 
homeschool, you know, learning, learning about our rocket mass heaters. Oh, oh, I see. Ah, all right, right, right. Okay. <clears throat> the key is, is that, um, once it gets past the riser, there's really, uh, uh, no smoke to make into creosote. There's nothing to make the creosote out of beyond there. And so our results have been that when we look like with this one here in the Fisher Price house, we pop off the barrel and we look inside, that riser looks brand new. There's not a speck of anything on it. It's all been cooked off, whatever tried to accumulate there. Whereas like that little teeny tiny wood stove that I was just talking about, that thing was, you know, uh, pretty much choked with creosote. And if, and basically if you didn't go and clean it out, it would be so choked that it wouldn't function at all and the, and the room would just fill up with smoke. Yeah. You don't wake up when you do that. Oh, right. And then there's that. Yeah. Whereas running a rocket mass heater has been easy and delightful. Um, and so, all right. We were talking about estimated lifespan. And, um, the rocket mass heaters we're building today, I think are going to easily last way beyond 40 years, but we just kind of felt like we shouldn't say a number bigger than 40 years because that's what the other things were claiming was 40 years. And so we kind of feel like, ah, uh, sure, 40 years, we'll take that. Um, I believe that the oldest rocket mass heater is in Myrtle back in Coquille, Oregon. Is that accurate, Mud? Do you know? It looks like Mud has frozen. Um, so anyway, I think that that one was pushing 20 years old when I was there in 2009. So um, 35 years old or so, the barrel looks exactly the same. And that was one of the earliest designs of a rocket mass heater. Okay. Setting aside lifespan stuff, let's, let's move on to when the power goes out. Clearly a rocket mass heater is going to be the champion. And um, all heat pumps are going to just die. They're not going to be able to function at all. So you're going to freeze your nubs off. But now, to be fair, if you're going to go on vacation for two weeks in the middle of winter, the rocket mass heater is going to suck because there's nobody there to, to keep it going. And that's when a heat pump is glorious. Now, one of the things to point out, is that at the end of our two-minute video about this, that at the very end we said that, okay, uh, a heat pump has a lot of advantages over a rocket mass heater, and a rocket mass heater has a lot of advantages over a heat pump. And what we recommend is both. Get both. You know, that way, um, if the power goes out, fire up your rocket mass heater. And if you go on vacation, then let the the heat pump take care of it. And the um, the the heat pump also stops being efficient. the The colder it gets outside, the less efficient the heat pump is. To the point where, at about negative zero zero to negative twenty, is when even the most robust heat pumps just aren't putting out any more heat. And the rocket heaters draft really nicely at that point 
when it's that cold outside and uh and make a nice warm house uh and at the other end of things when it's 50 degrees and cold and rain and 50 degrees and raining here in northeast ohio it's it's just miserable but there isn't enough of a temperature differential between inside and outside to get the rocket heater to 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 go very well sometimes and that's when uh that's when those those uh mini splits just shine they just they're super efficient at sucking a little heat out of the outside air i'm edward norton no not that one the other one and i love pies no not that kind the other kind Hermes is an old-school forum packed full of friendly people who occasionally give out a slice of pie. You'll never forget your first slice of pie. It made me feel so good. I had to buy a whole pie so I could share the love. Oh, and there's apples too. Sign up at permies.com to join in the world of homesteading and permaculture, and you too might get a slice of pie. All true. All true. All true. Now, um, the problem when it's like 55 outside and the temperature inside, let's say, is 65 and you want to start a fire and rocket mass heater, this this is the weak spot. This is where a rocket mass heater is shit compared to a conventional wood stove. Conventional wood stove will not have as much of the cold plug problem that a rocket mass heater has. But the the rocket mass heater is super efficient, but it comes at a price. And that price is the cold plug. And so if the temperature outside is really cold and the temperature inside is like 65, the rocket mass heater is amazing. It is. This is what it was made for. This is where it is crazy efficient, crazy good. Now, if the temperature outside is 55 and the temperature inside is 65, the rocket mass heater will still be crazy efficient. The problem is, the challenge is getting it started. Getting it started can become a pain in the ass. However, most of the time that we're trying to start it through the winter, um, the temperature outside is so much colder than inside it starts really well. It's it's very easy to start. It's when the temperature outside is close to the temperature inside, it becomes so challenging, so, so difficult. The cold plug is the price to get all this efficiency. And so there's ways to mitigate the cold plug, but that takes extra time. And if, uh, and Gilligan's oftentimes can't be bothered with the, with even knowing about what a cold plug is, let alone taking the extra time. So, um, that's, that's the weak point, but it's still efficient. It's just hard to start. Whereas that's another thing is a heat pump. Well, you know what's funny though? In fact, I'm going to say all, I'm going to, so here's all this winter. We have heated exclusively with the rocket mass heater. We have not turned on the heat pump even once because we have a heat pump now. We took all that propane out because I got to the point where I was sick to death of the sleaze. The sleaze was way too much. Um, I just didn't want any more of that sleaze. It had to go. 
So we we got rid of that. We put in a, a heat pump in case this building is ever empty during the winter. We have a, a backup heat source. Now, I got to say, we've never turned it on, but we did have one day when it came on. And, um, and so basically we were running the fire and we probably let it go a little too far. I think we got it up to 78 in the house. And it's like, usually what we do is we let it get up to like 76 and then we cork it. And then over the next three or four hours, it, it drops down to 72 pretty quickly, but then it'll hold that. And the next morning it'll be like 69. And so, um, but usually we stable out, we drop a bit and then we stable out. All right. That's, but when we're running the fire, it's like, oh, there's the last little bit of the fire. And that's the other thing too, is it, it takes a, a bit to kind of get the fire going. And then the temperature in the room doesn't rise very fast. But once it's going, the temperature in the room does rise very fast. So we may have gone past 78 and the mini split turned on. The air conditioning turned on to try to cool the room because it was too warm because the, the mini split is up near the ceiling and up near the ceiling it was probably hotter than 78. And so the, the mini split, that, that's just, that's just silliness. It, it's not the fault of the mini split. What I am trying to say though is that as much as the rocket mass heater can be hard to start under the right conditions, uh, a mini split, we've had trouble getting our mini split to start when we wanted it to start. Like we're sitting there fucking with the buttons like, come on, damn it! How many times do I have to push this button? And, and it could be a little weird that way from time to time, but like with the Fisher Price house, um, we generally never have a cold plug problem. The only time we have a cold plug problem that we have to deal with, and we have ways of dealing with it, um, we have to basically prime the rocket mass heater. Um, is usually like in a cold cabin. So the temperature of the cabin on the inside is the same as the outside. And so we have to prime it correctly and i got a whole video about that um but uh uh the other one is is that uh inside the shop and so in the shop it goes stone cold and then we go in there to fire it up and we're gonna have to take the steps in order to be able to to um deal with the cold plug okay <clears throat> going back to the thing about how what we recommend is both and there's a bunch of reasons why uh, a heat pump is good, and there's a bunch of reasons why a rocket mass heater is better than a heat pump. And um, But really, if you've got both, and the thing that we recommend is run the rocket mass heater whenever you're in the mood. It's, it's better in a long list of ways. It'll save you tons of money. It's better for the environment. All, all the reasons. And uh, the thing that the heat pump has going for it is the thermostat. So I suggest set the thermostat on the heat pump pretty low. That's what we do. So if anybody forgets to build a fire, the heat pump will come on. All good. Um, but it, but to heat the house, the heat pump has not come on at all this winter. We've done a real good job of, of keeping things plenty warm with the rocket mass heater. So... Um, 
And then if you forget to run a fire, you don't feel like running a fire or whatever, all good. The heat pump will kick in and warm the place up. Um, I think that the rocket mass heater adds luxury because with the heat pump, you're usually going to set it low so you can save money and be good to the environment. But the rocket mass heater, what the hell? Go ahead and, uh, and, and, and run it as warm as you want, whatever you think is comfortable. I mean, it's like what, three extra sticks or something? Who cares? You know, plenty more sticks where that came from. Oh, heat pump. Uh, uh, it does have air conditioning. And so like if it's 107 outside, you can run your heat pump as an air conditioner and it can bring it down to 75 inside. And it's like, oh, that's a, that's a pretty handy thing. Now at the same time, a rocket mass heater will actually cool your home also. And, uh, I, I think it cools your home about seven to ten degrees. Um, now, uh, I don't, Mud, do you have, do you have any philosophies about a rocket mass heater cooling your home? So I would say it tempers the home pretty well. You have a big mass. And, um, and basically, if you think about a refrigerator, a refrigerator that's full is a lot more efficient than a refrigerator, refrigerator that's empty. Because, uh, in an empty fridge, uh, the, uh, the temperature that you're looking for is just stored in the, in the air. You've cooled the air, and when you open the door to see what there is there in there to snack on, all of the cold air comes out and, uh, and then the fridge has to kick back on and cool down more air. Whereas if you have a fridge that's full, um, of, of mass, basically, uh, that when the, uh, when you open the fridge to look at stuff, the cold mass doesn't fall out on the floor generally. Um, there's a lot less cool air to fall out on the floor. So that fridge doesn't have to come back on as soon. And a similar thing happens in with a house that is massive inside, has a big thermal mass bench in it or stone walls inside if it's well insulated on the outside and stores the heat in a large mass on the inside, then it can be hotter outside. And when everybody opens the door um it gets a little warmer, but it doesn't get too warm too quick. It stays cool. And if you open the windows when it's cooled, at, cooled down at night, you're storing that heat in your thermal mass, in your thermal mass bench. Um, and personally, I've got one of my installs is a, is an eight ton thermal mass bench, uh, on a, an uninsulated concrete floor that, uh, yeah, it sucks a lot more heat, uh, into the floor from the fire, uh, until it warms up that floor in the winter. Um, but in the summer, um, the, the, the ground sucks the heat out of that room very effectively through the mass of the, of the bench. It's like having a, a, a five ton air conditioner in there. Um, uh, passively cooling it, it works very well for that. Um, and, and I'm, I'm saying tempering because even in the winter, uh, 
um, it's, you know, when I wasn't, uh, living in that space, uh, I just, I didn't have any heat on in there, but the plumbing didn't freeze even at negative 20 outside because that mass was pulling heat up out of the ground into the room, um, through the uninsulated floor, through the ground coupling of the floor. So, so yeah, you can temper or condition the heat the uh the air uh both colder and warmer with your uh rocket heater and of course if you only go there on weekends and it takes the whole weekend to warm the place up because you've got a big mass bench well that was poor design um uh and you want to think about the the uh, amount of mass that you have uh mass battery that you have in your space if you've got a an edge case like that. But if you're living there and want it to stay the same temperature, um, uh, that mass is going to definitely benefit you. Uh, the other comfort, the other comfort thing that I've found is that, uh, so if my wife is warm, my life is a lot better. The, uh, uh, and the mini split will warm the air in the room, but it doesn't do a very good job of warming the walls of the floor or anything other than just pushing some warm air around. So your feet tend to get cold and, um, and, and it's just, even, even if you have it up to 75 or so, it's just not as comfortable we're finding as having this big mass radiating heat at you or sitting your butt down on, on a warm bench. Uh, you don't care if the other side of the room is 50 degrees, if you've got a warm bench to sit on. Um, I want to, so the point you're making, I think, is a really good one. Um, and that is that the heat that you feel from a heat pump is, I don't know, it, it feels like, a, and I don't have words for this exactly. This is going into art more than anything else, but it, it feels like it was manufactured in a factory. Whereas the heat that comes off of any wood burning device feels like, um, homespun heat. Now I'm going to, so I see Samantha's on the call. And she's talked to us a little bit so far, but she has said something in the podcast in the past that I think is an important thing I want to mix in here. And I want to hear, Mud, if you say the same thing, because I agree with Samantha when she says, okay, Samantha, say your thing. Yeah, You what know what I'm asking about? No, I don't. The quality of heat from the rocket mass oh, heater compared yeah. to a regular wood stove. I think that a, that a heat pump or somebody's regular heating, like I have electric heat, it's fine. It's basic needs and you're okay. But in your home, Paul, with your rocket mass heater or other rocket mass heater cabins that you have that I've been in or your teepee, it, it warms you to your bones. And so you can be so comfortable inside that you can run outside without a coat, often without shoes in the snow, and I'm totally warm. Where when I'm in my home, I'm comfortable but I'm not so internally warm. I'm going to be more easy to get cold when I go outside. And I feel that the heat that comes from the rocket mass heater warms me so completely. And maybe it's because it is the conducted heat. Um, I'm, I'm not sure why, 
but it feels it feels better. And I think a wood stove feels better than a baseboard heater. I mean, I love wood heat. I love the experience of the fire. Another thing about your rock and mass heaters is you get to be with the fire. It's an open fire. I can hear it crackling. I can see Ooh, the one. fire. And to me, that's such a joy. Like, I miss that from when I was growing up. I love the fire. And you get all the joys of having the glass wood stove door and more because you actually get to see. I just want to sit there and stare at it. It doesn't need to be tinkered with, but I want to look at it. Which a lot of people do. They they hover over it just to stare <laughs> at the fire. Uh-huh. But, okay, so I want to say that it, while it is true that if you have a rocket mass heater and you sit on it and you get the conductive <laughs> heat, that is by far the most delicious heat, easily. Um, and there's something soul-feeding about that type of heat. But uh, in, a, in an attempt to do a comparison between a rocket mass heater and a conventional wood stove, and I've run a lot of wood stoves in my life, um, <clears throat> getting the heat from a wood stove is very nice. Getting the same kind of heat, which would be radiant heat or convective heat, from a rocket mass heater is somehow better. And I don't know why, but it does feel better. It it feels more delicious, more delightful, more more luxuriant. There's something about it that just feels better. And um so that was the thing I was fishing for because I know Samantha you've said that uh before that the heat from a rocket mass heater is somehow better than from a conventional wood stove. I don't know how you hold a ruler up to that. Well, to me it's like it's so easy to just go outside and get some more wood. Like I know there's endless wood. And every time I want to be a little bit warmer in my house and I have to turn up the thermostat, I feel like I'm taking. I mean, I know I'm taking because I'm going to pay more. But I also feel a little bad that I'm, you know, I can't just put on a sweater. I have to take more from the, you know, from the grid, from the resources of the world. And my forest produces so much wood, it's good for it to pull some out. This benefits my forest. So I don't feel like I'm taking anything. I'm just treating myself awesome or keeping my family so cozy. And I, I feel better. I don't know about your forest, although I know that you had some wildfires in your area this, was it this last summer? Um, but I know where I am, wildfires are an annual thing. And so if we don't go get that wood and bring it out, it's going to burn anyway, which would be another way of saying that this is a carbon zero (laughs) heater. Um, it's like, well, it was either going to go up in a wildfire or we brought some of the wildfire fuel in here instead, mm-hmm. you know. So it's still going to go up in the atmosphere as carbon dioxide, but, uh, you know, at least now it's heating our home. So zero, carbon zero, uh, no matter which way you look at it, carbon zero. All right. All, all I wanted to do was to say that there is a weird sensation and I, that that where the a any kind of wood heat has a better feeling to it than um any of the electric forms of heat with the possible exception of that electric in-floor heating where it kind of that is very nice 
but we can do that with rocket mass heaters as well. And then I wanted to, to say the feeling of a rocket mass heater compared to a conventional wood stove, somehow that just feels way better, and I don't know why, and I don't even know how to describe it. It's faster. So, I get, I mean, if I fire at my cast iron wood stove, it's a while before I get much heat. Whereas if you put a, you know, you just fire up your stove and it's coming straight, your rocket mass heater in your house, it's coming straight off that barrel so quick. It's instantly yeah. heating me. And then, of course, for like we showed in the video, easily 24 hours, your house is so comfortable. We just put the paper in to kind of get it started. And you're feeling that within 10 seconds. Yeah. It is pretty awesome that way, too. But now I want to throw out uh, Alan Booker's word, biophilic. Yes, I love that word. So uh, at first when I heard it, it's like I, I was having a hard time with it. Why can't you just say, <laughs> you know, but yeah. but no, now it's now it is really sticking. And it seems like I got to say it all the damn time. But but basically biophilic is saying something about how if you interact with nature, it builds your soul. And so there's an interaction with nature when you hold the stick in your hand. Mm -hmm. And so you you have a biophilic vibaruni. And then uh, when you place it into the, the, the wood feed and burn it, and then you observe the fire, that is also biophilic. When you stack the firewood outside is biophilic. When you cut down the tree or you cut up the wood or whatever, that is biophilic. And so you've got this collection of biophilic experiences that happen for you to heat your home. Plus the biophilic thing that as a gardener, you can grow your own heat. That is biophilic. And so there's this long series of biophilic that feeds your soul that you do not get with a heat pump. And um, I think another thing is, is like, and it's not on my list to talk about, well, later on. Um, <clears throat> some people say that they're going to go off grid with a heat pump. And it's like, holy shit, that's going to be a lot of extra solar panels you're going to have to add on to your system to be able to run a heat pump in the middle of winter, especially here in Montana. I mean, we're farther north, farther, you know, like our sun, the amount of sun we get isn't quite as much as what the people in California get or the people in Texas get. And while you can do it, it's like the expense so the expense, you're at the expense of the actual uh, heat pump. And I kind of feel like if you're going to try to heat your house with many splits, that's going to be nuts if you're going to do it with solar. That's going to be, that's going to be crazy. Surely, surely that's too crazy. And then other people are going to do it with an in-ground heat pump, which is crazy light. That's still a lot of power. It just seems like if you're going to be off-grid, the way to do it is a rocket mass heater. Now, most people do off-grid, and they've got uh, a conventional wood stove, and they're burning like 20 cords every winter in order to stay warm. Um, now, of course, if you've got a humble cabin, you're probably going to be doing like three cords. 
But that's another thing too is, is when I go to present about rocket mass heaters and I ask people in the audience who heats with wood and some people raise their hand and I say, okay, of all the people who got their hand up, who heated their home last winter exclusively with wood? And about three quarters of the hands go down. So they heat with wood, but just once in a while. But they call that heating with wood. And then I say, okay, of all the people that still have their hands up because they heated exclusively with wood, how many people kept the temperature above 50? All the hands go down. All of them go down. And so we're waking up. In fact, Samantha, you made that video the other day where uh, – you let the fire go out, and then the afternoon it was like, and you did a morning fire in the afternoon. It was like seventy-two, and the following morning it was like ten degrees outside, and it was yeah. sixty-nine inside. <laughs> and so yeah. it's easy to keep the temperature well above fifty, even yeah. on a really really cold day. Even so, only running the fire once a day and for an hour ish, it's very easy. And we had days where uh it was 20 below this winter. Uh Did we? No, we got to 25 below here. And uh when it's 25 below, I don't think we got it below 65 indoors. Hmm. And so we kept it very warm. Um, <clears throat> all right. All right. Uh Biophilic. Um with a rocket mass heater, you can grow your own fuel. I'm, to me, that's just huge. That's, that's such a big, big part of it right there. I mean, there are people who live off grid and they have to travel into town twice a month to go get a, go get the propane tanks filled. And it's like, I'm living off grid. No, you aren't. <laughs> that, that propane is the grid. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, I, I, then at the same time, there's all the people who are heating with wood and they're keep, they're trying to keep their fires going 24 seven and failing at it. Um, and with a rocket mass heater, it's just so easy. All right. The ability to grow your own fuel. The other thing is, is, is that, uh, when you've got a conventional wood stove, trying to store that much wood to get you through a winter because you got to dry it. You got to get it nice and dry before you try to burn it. Trying to store six cords of wood is a giant endeavor. Um, whereas for us trying to store uh 0.6 cords of wood is a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. It's like this. And then it's like, it's just easy. And then like, Oh, we have to refill the little wood rack in the house. Like once every couple of weeks. It's so easy. There's so little wood we have to deal with. Um, and, of course, yeah, we're able to burn home waste. So cardboard, uh, junk mail, um, things of that nature, little scraps of paper that package something or another. Um, I, I think the famous one is the pizza box. We don't have any pizza boxes here, um, but, you know, you can't recycle a pizza box, but a but a pizza box does great in a rocket mass heater. All right. That is all the stuff that's packed into that two-minute video up on YouTube. I do have some more notes for this podcast, 
but we're two hours into this. Um, maybe I should save these notes for another time. Or Mud, do you want to? Okay, gives me the thumbs up. Um, I'm going to. I gotta go get kid, so I gotta I'm check gonna, out. I'm going to read the list real quick, and then we'll be done. Does that sound right? The heat from a rocket mass heater feels better than the heat from a heat pump, and we talked about that. Carbon negative heat, we already covered that. Um, The environmental footprint of creating a heat pump, we did cover that. Off-grid, we we talked about that. Um, A heater tied to the grid makes you vulnerable. Mud has a lot to say about that. That's a mud point. Um, uh, Freaky cheap heat. Uh, the, the new movie we're about to come out with. We did a little over a year ago, uh, record and build in order to save Europe. Then there was political comedy, uh, which, uh, doesn't matter because all three builds went a year past their due date. Um, we're still going to make excellent free videos. Uh, rocket mass heater innovation. Uh, I have a note. I thought by now I would be a has been. Oh yeah. Where's all the other innovators carrying all this stuff about rocket mass heaters? I thought I'd be done with this by now. Other people much smarter than me would be carrying it. Uh, do enjoy all the love from other rocket mass heater builders that verify one-tenth the wood. Thank you. Nice to hear after years of people saying bullshit. Uh, before the heat infographic, how to tell 100 million, 100 million people. We want to tell 100 million people about rocket mass heaters. Um, anyway, we talked about that. Um, and if we get money, we will put it in the promotion of this vid. So somewhere there's a link about this. Oh, there it is. Um, if we can get $5,000, just give it to me. Just hand me actual money. (laughs) We will take it and then we will hand it to YouTube who in theory will show this video to so many more people. I think that the video really does a great job of summarizing the importance of a rocket mass heater and, you know, hopefully will affect massive global positive change. Okay. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about rocket mass heaters, homesteading, and permaculture. All the time. Hey, this is T. Blankenship. Have you seen the new video of Wheaton Labs? It is permaculture awesomeness with all new and improved things like more rocket mass heaters, easy bake coffin, Willy Wonka, rocket cooktop 2.0, and the truly passive greenhouse. To see more, go to permies.com slash tour. Again, that is permies.com slash tour.